you guys remember last time we were here, Jesus got into a big argument with the Pharisees. He was debating with them and telling them, I am the light. I am the truth. And they did not want to hear it. But the people around Jesus, the normal citizens, they heard it and they believed all the things Jesus was saying. They were listening and they were saying, this sounds like a great person to follow. So we pick it up right after Jesus has said these things. People, if you look at the last verse of the last section, it's a Verse 30, and he spoke these words, many believed him. So verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? So Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He says, then, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen from my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Then they answered and said to him, listen, Jesus, Abraham is our father. So Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, listen, we weren't born of fornication, Jesus. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor I have not come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words because you do not hear because you are not of God. We're going to stop just right there. So I'm going to switch over now. And we're going to come back to this and break it down. But I'm going to read you guys a letter from a college student coming home from college. And before she comes home, she's writing to her parents to give her an update. So she says, Dear Mom and Dad, It's been three months since I left for college. Sorry I haven't written you. I've been so busy. I will bring you up to date on my life. And, well, you're going to want to sit down before you read this. I'm doing all right well as well as can be expected. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out the window of my dorm when it caught fire has almost healed. And I only spent two weeks in the hospital and now I can see almost normally and only get migraines and blurry vision about once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dorm and my jump was witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me at the hospital and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnt dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He's a very nice boy, and we have fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set the date yet, but we expect to have it sometime before my pregnancy begins to show. Um, Now, mom and dad, uh, listen, um, this pregnancy happened about a a week after I met the guy, so we took our time. Um, The 
reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has some minor infection which prevents us from passing our premarital blood test that I carelessly caught from him. This will soon clear up with the penicillin injections I am now taking daily. Uh, I know you will welcome him into the family with open arms. He is kind and although not well educated, he is ambitious. In fact, he is the leader of one of the biggest gangs in town. The best part is through his connections, I've been able to get hold of meth and cocaine mostly free. Um, now that I brought you up today, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have concussion or skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not engaged. I do not have an STD, and there is no drug dealer in my life. <laughs> However, I am getting a D in sociology and an F in science. Love you guys. I'll write you again soon. So the whole point of that letter, the, the genius of it, is um, she is giving some really, really, really bad news that's false before she gives the good news. And the story goes to show that perspective is important. Today we're going to look at some people who saw Jesus from a wrong perspective. And the question I want you guys to ask is, what is my perspective of Jesus? Is it right or is it wrong? So we've read the story, and as we went through it, we see that Jesus is intense. I don't know if you picked up when I was reading it, but Jesus starts out with this crowd of people, this these crowd of people who love him, they're listening to him, he starts teaching, and he says, listen, if you were really my disciples, you would do the things I said. You would abide in my teachings. And then they say, listen, Jesus, your teachings are great, we like what you have to say, but we're children of Abraham. We don't really need to do what you say. I mean, you have some great things, but we don't need to do those things. See, Jesus is once again trying to reach people by letting them know the truth about who he is. And just like many times before, people reject his message and people get angry. Um, at the end of this chapter, we'll see they get so angry at what Jesus has to say that they start picking up stones and trying to throw them. It'd be like if I came out here and I was talking to you guys and then I was like, listen guys, if you really want to follow Jesus, you got to give up pizza. And then you guys like all like picked up rocks and started them throwing it at me. Like that's, that's what Jesus is facing right now. Um, it reminds me of when Justin Bieber says in his song, you gotta go and get angry at all of my honesty. That's how Jesus feels. Why are you so angry at my honesty? So let's look at a few things in Jesus' statements. The first thing Jesus mentions in verse 31 through 38 is he says, I am the truth that sets us free from the slavery of sin. The people hear this and they immediately respond with, listen, Jesus, we don't need you and your teachings. We are children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. Now, does anyone like hear that and do you catch the, the irony in that statement? Jesus, we're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. What, what do we know about the children of Abraham? <laughs> they were in slavery a lot. Like, you know, Egypt, Babylon, like the Amorites, the Philistines, like they get captured all the time and dragged into slavery. So yes, Abraham was their ancestor. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had him. I don't know how that works. It's, it's weird and awkward. Um, <laughs> but listen, Israel is a special nation chosen by God for a purpose. And because of that, they think we don't need anything else. They think we just need to be Abraham's kids. We were chosen for a purpose. That's, that's what we need. We're Abraham's kids. Here's the point that I want to throw out at the beginning. 
Don't be like these guys. Don't assume that God isn't trying to speak to you today. Don't sit here and go, this is probably great for somebody who's struggling, but I'm fine. I don't need to hear this. Because that's exactly what's happening with Jesus. Jesus is throwing out some solid truth. And the Israelites say, hey, we've heard this before. We're the children of Abraham. We don't need to hear this. This isn't for us. Don't make that mistake. I, I seriously am at the point in my life where I realize when I walk into any Bible study, whether it's my favorite pastor or somebody who's never taught before, it's their first time, I need to realize that God wants to speak to me in that moment through his word and through his spirit. His spirit is here. And I'm so glad because I'm just a man and I only have limited speaking skills, but I am so blessed to be in a position where God can speak today. And if you allow him to speak to you, he will. In verse 34, Jesus answered them and says, truly, truly, he's saying, listen, for real, seriously, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't stay in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. The point Jesus is trying to make, our first point for today, is that sin enslaves There's this old story floating around about how to kill a wolf if you're an Eskimo, how to take out a wolf. So here it is. The account is grisly, yet it offers some fresh insight on the self-destructive nature of sin. First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes his knife up in the ground with the blade sticking up out of the ground. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. And feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf continues to lick the blade. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf doesn't realize that the blood he begins to taste is his own blood. And his carnivorous appetite just continues to say more and more and more until before long, the, the wolf is lying dead on the knife. And it's a crazy story that just illustrates that we can be consumed by our own sinful nature. It's sticking up out of the ground. It looks great. We go for it. But the thing about sin is it's a trap set to not only destroy you, but itself. Sin doesn't care if it dies. Satan, he knows he's going down. And so he sets these traps for us, knowing he's taking himself out too. But he wants to take as many of us down with him. Sin enslaves. Sin is poison. It seems so attractive, but sin absolutely is poison concealed as what we love. I use this illustration all the time, but it's like a birthday cake with poison laced in it. It looks great, but it kills us slowly and slowly. What we love is often what the enemy uses to kill us. And listen, as your pastor, seriously, so many times I've been tricked by this. In my own life, so many times Satan has used the things that I love to pull me into sin. He's a counterfeiter. You know what Satan does? He takes the good things of God. He takes the things that God has made, the things that God has blessed the world with, and he counterfeits them. He takes genuine friendship and community and he gives us the counterfeit of people who take advantage of us and leave us broken. He takes deep, lasting love and he replaces it with the counterfeit of cheap, unfulfilling sexual experiences. He takes incredible joy and he replaces it with the counterfeit of momentary happiness and 
Satan loves to take the good thing of purpose and replace it with the counterfeit of distraction. Not giving us purpose to live our life for God, but just distracting us with as many things to entertain us until we realize we've wasted our youth. Sin makes us its slave. Now, there's a guy here today who is a counselor of ours who has an amazing story of just his own life, and I just want him to come up and share just for a few minutes. Uh, so Dylan, if you want to come up. Uh, Dylan and I were hanging out recently, and he was kind of telling me his story, and it just it reminded me so much of kind of what we're talking about, and so I asked him if he'd be willing to kind of share his perspective on the idea of sin making us a slave and the freedom we find in Christ. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a few minutes. Yeah. So thank you for the clap. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Everything um, that Aaron just said is absolutely 100% valid and true and you should hear it. Um, I grew up... (laughs) How many of you guys have heard parts of my testimony just from small group? I know, okay. So I grew up um, in a Christian home sometimes, and then on the other side of things, completely not Christian home, like polar opposites. And it's kind of amazing because my testimony is like, if you took a bunch of watercolor paints and you just threw them on a piece of paper, that, that's, that's exactly it. I never really got too deep into any kind of particular habit, sin, fun thing or hobby or anything like that. I just kind of touched all of them, all of them, even so with Jesus. I grew up going to uh, Daybreak Church, Calvary Vista when I was little, um, North Coast, North Coast Calvary Chapel, Carlsbad. Uh, I tried C3 once. I went to so many different churches and so many different youth groups and so many different camps and so many different things Um, sometimes forced, sometimes just out of sheer curiosity, but the one theme was that I was constantly dabbling and never fully in it. And that will never work. Hmm. Jesus is a one, um, how do I say this? He is the one person that you have to fully commit yourself to, and if not, he's still there, he's still waiting. But if you don't fully commit, you won't fully receive. And I remember growing up and going to so many different youth groups and hearing so many people speak and hearing so many different testimonies that after a while, I really got jealous. I got jealous. I got jealous that I could look at someone who I knew three years ago was nowhere close to Jesus, but because they really meant it, they raised their hand, they walked forward, they fell on their knees, and they really wanted Jesus, they got him right away. And I remember a few times I would, I, would, I would get to that point where I'd start hearing the message and maybe the tears would hit or maybe I was just like, oh my God, this is real. My heart is thumping right now. This is no joke. But for whatever reason, it just never really sank with me. And so I lived this duality life, exploring every little thing possible and still showing up to youth groups on Sundays and Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights and then going to a college group on Thursday nights. And I was doing the Christian thing. I knew a lot of the Bible. I could answer any of your questions. It was scary. I was a Pharisee. I was absolutely a Pharisee. And, and I think that, that that illustration with the wolf lapping its own blood is the perfect way to, to show sin. All of us have sin. All of us are sick with it. It is a disease that will kill us. It is what kills us. Think about family members maybe or friends that we have that have passed away. Most of the time you can trace their death to sin, anything an addiction, a habit, a relationship, whatever it is, you can trace every single death guaranteed somewhere to a life of sin because we are sinful. 
Mm. Now, until you see these symptoms start to arise, you're not going to realize you need the solution. You won't. Absolutely not. So youth group after youth group after youth group, I'd walk in with maybe a spot here and I'd hide it here and a spot here and I'd hide it there and a gash over here from a bad relationship and then a really bad one from a three-year relationship. It gets bad and your life will get worse, not because God hates you or not even because he's doing it to you. It's you're doing it to yourself and the enemy loves it. He loves to see every single one of us fall and stay there and stay down. It's abusive. And so finally... I got to a certain point where I was just watching my life go through cycles. Six months, eight months, one year cycles where it was, okay, I just surf for three months straight and then okay, now I don't hang out with them anymore because they got really into Jesus and I'm kind of jealous and scared. I don't know what to do there. Okay, I'm gonna hang out with these guys over here and then girlfriend and then new job. And I was constantly unsatisfied and struggling. Yet I thought that I had Jesus. So I was then angry at God. How on earth is this salvation? How on earth is this life change? And the solution was that I never really gave my heart. I thought about it and get scared. I thought about it and get scared. Now, I told Aaron, the first time I heard the gospel, I was eight years old. And it hit hard. Just after a divorce, my dad just got saved, and he was real. He was for real. And he shared the gospel with me, and I wanted it. I wanted it so bad, because I wanted happiness. I wanted real joy, and he had it, and my mom didn't. Let's pray for her. She's going to get saved, guaranteed. But still, I wanted what he had. So I gave my heart as best I could that day. So I don't, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know when I can tell you, I got saved, and then everything stopped, and I was growing, and I, that never happened for me. But I do know that God was relentless in his love for me. And at a certain point, about two years ago, it was all in. It was all in. I had no choice. Everything caved in around me. If you don't think fake lives and weird lies and horrible things we do will come creeping around the corner and get you right in the face, you're absolutely lying to yourself or being lied to and believing it. So the solution to this, the, the, the point that I'm trying to say is that if embarrassment, if fear, if, if even being able to, to uh, this gets me all the time, Admitting to God that yet again I've screwed up. You know, it, it's, it's brutal, but until we get to a place where we realize we are so sinful and the Lord is so good, and, and Jesus is that solution. Jesus loves us unconditionally and eternally. We have eternal life in Him. If He sets you free, you are free. I, I broke so many addictions on my own and then right back, right back into it. Not kidding. It only lasts so long. We are only so strong. We will depend on something. We will replace something for something else. And until we learn to fully rely on Christ, whether saved or not, this is going to make you feel some sense of uncomfortability if you know you're wrestling with a certain sin issue in your life. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So... Sorry that came off harsh, but this is what I'm trying to say. Jesus loves you guys, and he loves me so much that he let my life get ruined. And now it is so much better than I ever could have imagined. So much better than I ever could have built it up. And I tried really hard in a lot of different ways. So wherever you are in your walk, if you know I'm I'm saved and he's definitely set me free, but I'm just not really, ah, I'm not really running into it. It's kind of just a habit. I kind of just get dragged here and the breakfast burritos are good. Take another step. Take another step. It's good. I'm not kidding. It's really good. It's really incredible. Mm. And just see where your life goes. And if you've never really given your heart to Christ, if it's always been a 
mythical kind of, uh, that sounds weird. Like, I don't know, why does dad cry when he talks about Jesus? Like, this is so weird. <laughs> if it's that, I would encourage you to pull someone aside, someone aside, any of the counselors and say, please don't, just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. And I promise you we will share the gospel. And I promise you Jesus hears that because you're being real. Don't be fake with the Lord. He already knows where you're at. So just turn to him. So, yeah. Amen. Thanks, man. It's awesome. Love Dylan and Rachel. They just started being counselors and they've, they're, they're killing it. They're going for it. That's so rad. And that's totally the second point. The sun sets free. And I, I love that story. In Jesus' day, slavery looked a little bit different than it did the way we think of slavery. Um, slavery was something that was voluntary sometimes when you needed food or shelter. shelter <laughs> uh, I can't talk. Um, when you need food or shelter, you would go and you'd say, hey, let me be a slave in your household. Provide for me, feed me, and I will serve you. So it was almost like a job. Other times it was court appointed. It was like if you had a debt and you needed to settle it, the court would order you to be a slave to the person that you owed money to. And that's how sin is. Like a lot of times it can either be voluntary, we're sinning because we feel like we'll get something out of it. We go to sin and we say, like, I need something from this. I will gain something from this. Or we sin because we feel like we have to. And that's when you're in bondage to it, when you're enslaved. And I think there's always a progression with sin where you start out thinking that it's what you want. And then you reach a point where you realize, I hate this sin. I hate what it's doing to my life. But I feel like I can't stop. I feel like I'm in bondage from it. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. When Jesus said that, he knew the Jews in that time, they would have known that the law said in six years, slaves had to be released. So Jesus knows. He uses it as this illustration. Sin feels good for a while. You get to stay in that comfort zone where you feel like you're taken care of, but eventually sin kicks you to the curb, broken, addicted, in pain, in lying, in depression, and then you get picked back up again by another sin, and then you're in bondage again. So in verse 35, it says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but listen, the son remains forever. Jesus knows that a slave can't stay. Only a son or daughter can actually stay in the house and be provided for. And listen, Jesus is all about freeing slaves and adopting them as sons and daughters. So Jesus says in verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's, again, why I love Dylan's story. Because his story is the story that all Christians are called to have. Do not be a slave Allow yourself to be saved and adopted, and then you are a son or daughter in the house. If you're a slave to sin today, all you need to do to be free is surrender to Jesus. One of my favorite missionaries, Dwight Moody, says, some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to actually trouble God is to not come at all. He's not bothered when you come to him and when you ask him. He's bothered when you don't come, when you don't ask. Listen, if you're here today, I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care how Christian your parents are. I beg you not to wait. Don't hold out. Don't say, I'll do it later. I'll fully commit to Jesus later. Listen, if you're here today, surrender. How do we surrender? Well, look, look what Jesus says back in the beginning. Verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who knows what the word abide means? Anybody? Abide? No? To abide means to stay. 
to remain in something, to continue to be present. Like what that means for us is it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're always trying to outdo ourselves in spiritual acts. It doesn't mean that we're constantly like, I've got to do something to, to make God happy. It simply means that we stay with Jesus. Not that we said a prayer one day and he's in our heart and we kind of carry him around as like loose baggage. No, it means that we are constantly saying on a daily basis, Jesus, I'm here with you. God, what do you have for me? What do you want to show me? It doesn't mean that you wake up at a certain time every day and read your Bible for a certain time every day and pray for a certain time every day. Listen, you can easily do that and just be religious. You can easily do that and have no real love for the Lord in your heart, and you're just doing it to make your parents happy or to feel better about yourself. It boils down to am I in a relationship with him? For a lot of people, we put things into compartments. Our life has, we've got the soccer compartment, the cheerleader compartment, the school compartment, the friends compartment, the entertainment compartment, the exercise compartment. And it's easy to treat God this way. We come to church and we think, this is where I act like a Christ follower. This is my Christian compartment. And I come and I sing some songs and that's a Christian thing to do. And I listen to a Bible study. That's a Christian thing to do. But when you leave this place, does all of Jesus and his teachings go out the window? Or do you continue to abide? Do you stay with him? In our culture, it's not unnormal to see people abiding in what they love. Have you ever met anyone who does CrossFit? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've met anyone who does CrossFit. So the joke about CrossFit people is they just won't stop talking about CrossFit. It's like no matter what, like that is what comes out of their mouth. They are all about it. And yes, it, it, you can take that to the extreme where like, you know, when you see people, it's all, hey, brother, oh, are you blessed, brother? Praise the Lord, brother. And it's just like super Christianese, like just churchy sayings and there's no real weight to it. Um, it's really easy to slap a Christian bumper sticker on your car and wear Christian t-shirts, and none of you guys do that because you're in 2016, and that was kind of like a thing in the 90s, but what I'm saying is it's easy to fake it. It's easy to come to church and have your church face and have your church stuff, but Jesus is looking for something more real because here's the deal with CrossFit, okay? CrossFit is an extremely crazy form of exercise that I'm not going to pretend to know anything about it. (laughs) I don't know anything. I just know it's really hard, and it's weird, Um, but here's the thing. Like, I could become a CrossFit guy in the sense that I could learn about it. I could read a ton about it, right? I could know a ton about CrossFit. I could actually come to church and give like 20 illustrations on, on CrossFit. I could wear a CrossFit t-shirt that would be way too tight on me because they probably don't make CrossFit t-shirts in my size. Um, and I could put a CrossFit bumper sticker on my car, but if I don't actually do CrossFit, I'm, I'm not actually going to go anywhere exercise-wise. I'm not going to lose any weight. I can't just like wish myself into this relationship with CrossFit unless I actually experience it. Look, Jesus is not looking for us to put on those Christian t-shirts or those bumper stickers. He's looking for us to abide in him. Stay in the relationship. Spend time with Jesus. Learn what he's about. Guys, the Bible is weird. Like, seriously, it is so weird. I just, I'm doing a read through the Bible in a year thing, and I'm, like, late on it. Like, I keep missing days, and I have to, like, catch up. I just finished Genesis. It is so weird. There are so many bizarre, like, twisted, like, creepy stories in Genesis. And I'm just reading it. I'm like, God, where are you in Genesis? This is really dark stuff. But the more I read the Bible with the perspective of this book is about Jesus, the more I turn to the pages of the Bible and I ask, God, Jesus, what do you have to show me? What can I learn about you, about your heart, about your plan? I mean, guys, listen to his voice. 
I know sometimes reading the Bible can be confusing, but do it. Spend time with Jesus. Go where he leaves. Sometimes we have this fatal flaw in our perspective because we assume that God is like the genie in Aladdin and he's here to help us out of our problems. He's our buddy, you know, like when we're going through a difficult time, we get on our knees and we just, we, you know, rub the lamp and it comes, Jesus comes out and he's like, hey, what can I do for you? You know, that's, God is not a genie. God is a king, and he is on a mission to rescue and renew and restore a broken world with the power of his love. He is here to invite us to partner with him. Listen, young man, young woman, you have a purpose, okay? It is, purpose is more than just the name of an album. It is a way of life, You are called to live for the king, and he has so much in store for you. He has so much for you to do. And when you serve him, you receive so much joy. My relationship with the Lord, I can be honest, has grown lately because something shifted in the last couple years. Because I grew up like you in the church, and I really did view Bible reading and prayer as my Christian checklist to-do list. And it was kind of like I had to do it to make sure I was right with God. And kind of like that idea of like, well, it's kind of like, you know, if you don't eat, you know, you'll starve spiritually, and so I've got to have my daily bread and whatever. And I, kind of, I thought of it that way. It was like I was either doing it to make God happy, or I was doing it because I knew that I would like become really sinful and fleshly. And those, those things are true. They're definitely true. But... Where I'm at now is what I realize is I am friends with Jesus. And just like my wife is friends with me and she wants to hang out with me and she wants to talk with me, I realize that Jesus very much so wants to talk to me. I realize that he is with me daily, whether I'm having the best day ever or stressed out. He's in the car with me, he's in the hallway with me, he's in the office with me, he's at the beach with me, and he is always talking. God doesn't only talk when we open up the scriptures, that's very important, but he speaks through nature, he speaks through other people, he speaks through events that go on through your day, he is always constantly talking and trying to reach you, and the question is, are you listening? And I'm I'm at a point now where I can say, most of the time, I am, and it's such a blessing. It's so much better than when it was just like, oh, I gotta do my daily Bible reading. Now it's like, it's like I think of like, like you know like when you have your favorite artist and you can't wait for them to release a new album? And you're just like waiting, like when is the album gonna come out so I can hear something new from these guys? That's, that's what our heart needs to be from the Lord. When will you show me something new? When will you just bless me with something? Lord, like when you're going throughout your day, ask him, Lord, show me something, teach me something. I'm willing to receive from you. I'm just, uh, I missed out so much when I was your age. I'm just encouraging guys, don't miss out. Jesus wants you to dig your roots deep down in him. Joshua Ryan Butler writes in his book, he says, if your roots are in Jesus, your fruit will be love. Fruit takes time to grow. It doesn't appear overnight. We don't have to beat ourselves up for not being perfect Jesus followers the day after we started walking in his dust. It took the disciples a long time too, but the longer we're planted in God's garden, the deeper our roots grow in his goodness and the more generosity, joy, and selflessness begin to spring forth from our branches. If you know you have sin issues, and I know I have sin issues. If you know that you struggle, don't just write it off. Don't just say, oh, I'll get better when I get older. 
Take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be planted in you. Take what's wrong with me and replace it with what is right with you. Give me a heart transplant. If you know you have problems being selfish, if you really think about it, you're like, okay, what are my parents always on me about? Oh, they say I'm selfish, you know? If you know that you're dishonest, if you know that you're sneaky or if that you slack with your schoolwork or whatever, don't just live with those problems. Don't just live with cancer. Go to the doctor. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, because listen, like I said, he wants to take what's wrong with you and replace it with what's right with him. We want to be more like Jesus. The second and probably the last point we'll get to today because we got to wrap it up. I'll save the next one for next week. But the next point is know who our father is. In verse 39 through 47, there's this really interesting exchange that happens with Jesus and the Jews. The Jews say, look, Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus says, look, if Abraham was really your father, you would do the things that he did. You would trust God and his messengers because Jesus knows Abraham wasn't perfect, but he did the things God said. He followed God. When God sent angels to Abraham to tell Abraham new revelations from the Lord, Abraham didn't write them off. He said, tell me what I need to know. What do I need to do? So Jesus says, listen, you're nothing like Abraham. You're trying to kill the messenger of God. I'm here. I'm from God. I'm from heaven. I'm telling you the things you've been waiting to hear. But you know what? You're just like your father. Now, did you catch, did you catch that when we were reading it? Because what are they saying? The, the Jews are saying, Father Abraham had many sons. We're the sons of Father. Like, that's what they're saying. Like, we are the ones. We're, we're the sons of Father Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're not acting like Abraham. You're acting like your father. So who's he, who's he talking about? Well, it's, I, I just, I love, I love Jesus. I love the way he thinks. I love the way he presents things. They're saying, we're Abraham's kids. Jesus says, you're nothing like that. You're more like your father. Jesus didn't think that all these guys were siblings. He didn't think that they all came from the same father. The the argument gets intense. In verse 41, they accuse Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, we weren't born of sexual immorality. Our parents weren't fornicators, unlike someone else we know. I don't know if you caught that. There's a reason that they said that in the passage. They're they're dissing Jesus. Jesus' mom, Mary, is the girl in town who got pregnant. Joseph said he didn't do it. Mary says, oh, it was an angel. Like, we believe that. We know it's true. But in the town, like, would you believe it if your friend gets pregnant? And you're like, oh, who did it? Oh, it was an angel, the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, you are straight up lying. Like, but that's what Jesus had to grow up with, with a mom who was accused of being adulterous. Like, think of that reputation, walking around school, walking around town, and having people whisper. And now they're dragging this dirty laundry out into Jesus' face and saying, Jesus, we weren't born of fornication, unlike someone else we know. We have only one father. So, Jesus responds to this personal accusation. He says, you never claim, or he says, you claim to be children of God, but you never listen to what God says. I am right here in front of you. God sent me to you, but you hate me and reject my message. Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you can't even bear to hear my word. You're like your dad. You're like your dad. You know what his name is? It's Satan. That's what he says. Like, this is a total dismatch in the streets. Let's camp out here because there's just a few things that we want to finish up with. The point of this is that your family's religion 
has nothing to do with your relationship with God. And listen, Calvary, Vista, church group, where the majority of you are the brothers and sisters of the people who used to be in this youth group, right? Right? Are we right? Like, how many of you guys have older siblings who used to be in this youth group? Raise your hand. A lot of you. So you're the next generation. You've grown up. You're the children of Calvary Vista. You've grown up in the faith. Listen, your family's religion, listen, don't miss this. Your family's faith has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus. In September 2015, Pope Francis visited the United States in which he addressed Congress, and during his speech, he drank from a glass of water, like you do, you know, like a normal human being. After the Pope's speech, one Democratic congressman stole the glass of water and invited his wife and others to drink from it. He also saved some of the backwash to bless his grandchildren. Gross! Pope backwash, that's, that's gross. What he's thinking is that water that a priest drank is going to bless you. Listen, you can't get blessed by drinking water out of the same glass as a priest, just like you can't be saved just because your parents are on fire for Jesus. Listen, God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has kids. This is a huge warning for us. This is a huge warning for me. This is a huge warning. We can think so often like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I go to church. That's what it takes. I'm a Christian. I believe, right? That's what we need. To be, to be saved, to be Christians, to go to heaven, like, we just, we just believe. We just believe, right? Believe. Okay, so what did Jesus just say? He said these people, their father is Satan, right? Right? You with me? Right? Who is he talking to? What did the beginning of this passage tell us about these people? Anybody want to see if you can look? Verse 30. What does it say they did? They believed him. They believed in him. Jesus said something. They say, that sounds good. I believe in that. I believe in you, Jesus. And then like 20 verses later, Jesus is like, yeah, you guys are sons of the devil. <laughs> like, let's, let's wake up here. Because for many of us, very often, we say we believe, but we don't do what Jesus says. If we really believed that he was king, if we really believed he was Lord, we would do what he says. This is clear indication from Jesus that simply saying you're a Christian does not save you. It's tough. It's tough to hear. It's tough to preach. There's many of us who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And Jesus says, if you were my kid, you would act like me, but all you do is rebel against me. You don't act like me at all. You act like your true father is the devil. It's just like, like father, like son or daughter. Going to church doesn't make you saved any more than going to In-N-Out makes you a hamburger, right? It's, you know, I can't walk in and say, I'm a double-double animal style, huh? Like, it's just, I can't do it. I can say I believe in an airplane. I can look at an airplane. And someone asks me about the airplane. They say, Aaron, do you believe that this airplane can transport you all the way to Maine? all the way across the United States of America. And I say, yes, I believe in this plane. I believe it has the power to transform me, the speed. I believe it has the wingspan. I believe in this plane. And then you're like, okay, get on the plane. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to get on the plane. And I run away. I don't really believe in the plane. In theory, I believe in the plane, but until I put my trust in the plane. That's just, I mean, I've got more, but I'm just going to stop because we're out of time and I'm going to wrap this up by saying, listen, I don't want anyone here 
who is a Jesus follower but still sins and messes up and makes mistakes to walk away from this study and think, oh, I'm not saved. Because listen, when I was your age, I thought about that all the time. Anytime I sinned, anytime I blew it, I was like, oh, I need to get saved again. I need to go down the aisle. Like I need to receive Jesus at camp, like constantly receive. I was in that place. Listen, if you have made the choice to follow Jesus, if you put your trust in him, you're still going to blow it. But if you're walking with him every time you fall, he picks you up and he says, let's keep walking. But if you're here today and Jesus is just your get out of hell free card and you don't actually put any trust in what he has to say, you don't really follow him. You don't really hear his words and say, that's what I want to do. I want to grow. I want to be like you, Jesus. You're in a dangerous place. And I can't say for sure because God knows everybody's heart. But I can tell you, I know people. People who sat in, not in these same chairs, but he, they sat in this room and they listened to studies and they raised their hands in worship and now their lives, they're like, I want nothing to do with Jesus. And I asked them, like, well, what was it? And they said, oh, that was just something I believed when I was a kid. You know, I, I believed Jesus was God, but, you know, whatever. I don't anymore. You know, it happens. Because if it's just something we believe because we want to make our parents happy, if it's just something we want to believe because we don't want to go to hell, if it's just something where we're like, oh, what do I got to do? All I got to do is just think, uh, Jesus died. Okay, I think that. I, it's a thought, I think. The Bible says even the demons believe. Even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe Jesus died on the cross for sins. So the point is be a follower. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're not going to blow it. But it just means that you've said to Jesus, I want to follow you. Teach me. Lead me. And if you've never done that, if all you've ever done is just said a prayer and then you just went on and lived your life the way it does, and you're in a place where you know, the way I live my life, really, Jesus has no impact of that. Switch it around. Follow him today. Follow him. That's all it takes. It's just following him. Are you following right now? Are you following? That's the question. What's your perspective on Jesus? Just a guy who said some cool things? Just a guy we hear about on Sundays? Or do you follow him? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that the way to salvation is so easy in the sense that all we have to do is follow you. All we have to do is walk with you. God, I pray that if any of us here are Christians, and we, we love you in the sense that we love to come to church and see our friends, but we, we don't really think about you. We don't really talk to you. You're not really a part of our life except on Sundays. Jesus, I pray that you would convict us and help us to commit to following you, to be a follower. Jesus, you tell us that when we start to follow you, you take our burdens off of our backs and you place them on your own. Our sins, our worries, our anxieties, our troubles... You place them on your back and you hold our hand and you walk next to us. 
We thank you that you offer this, Jesus. That you offer not just, you don't just say to us, Jesus, yeah, get on that road and follow me. It's gonna be tough, good luck. You say, no, I am with you. I am your king, I am your God, I am your friend. I'm not just sitting in the clouds somewhere sending you messages. I am right next to you. I'm so thankful for that, Jesus. God, I know so many times in my life I've had a saved soul but a wasted life. So many times in my life, Jesus, I have been saved, I followed you, but then I turn around and I do the things the devil does. I act like Satan. I lie, I cheat, I steal. So many times in my life, God, I've, I've done things that I'm not proud of. God, I thank you that you continue to pull me on the path of following you. I thank you, God, that every time that I've sinned, you've pulled me up and said, let's keep walking. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you, for, for any of us, that you don't look at our sin in disgust and say, I hate your sin, go take care of it. Jesus, you're like a doctor. You look at us like cancer patients and you say, I will not rest until every inch of that sin, the cancer is cut out of you and you're restored. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you. We just ask that you'd bless all these students today. And I pray for all of them that they would walk with you today, this week, this month, this year. I pray that 2016 would just be a year of walking with the king. We love you, God, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen, guys. Have a good day. Happy Sunday. Happy Valentine's Day.